Hello, and welcome to the Salisbury Pediatric Associate Health and Wellness Newsletter Audiocast. I'm your host, Dr. M, and this is Volume 13, Issue Number 3, which happens to correspond with the week of January 2nd, 2023. Happy New Year to everybody. Well, what do we know? This week, we're going to talk about COVID-19, Update Number 78, the quick hits, and then we're going to get into iron. So the free thoughts this week, children must be taught how to think, not what to think, said Margaret Mead. I wish that my siblings would stop calling me, quote, spoiled, end quote, just because I'm the baby in the family. The fact is my parents kept having children until they found one that they liked. That's so not my problem, exclamation point. Unknown, whoever quoted that, but still funny. Food is a social glue. The holidays prove this time and time again. However, aim to keep the food choices reasonable as weight gain during the holidays has been shown by Dr. Guillenet and his group to be a major reason that people gain weight year upon year. Listen to the interview with Dr. Guillenet, number 34, if you want to dive deeper into this reality. The podcast associated with this newsletter is number 37 with Dr. Jeremy Goldberg. Super awesome conversation about words, relationship, and life. We really get into discussing all the things related to how to be in relationship with others through words. Song of the Week, Let Me Fall by Josh Groban. Alrighty, let's get into this. Coronavirus update number 78. According to the data from December 24th, 2022, U.S. strains of Omicron COVID, SARS-2, are mostly now XBB at 18%, BQ1.1 at 36%, and BQ.1 at 27%, with still some residual BA.5, BF.7, BA.4.6 circulating around. But what we don't have is increased signs of disease morbidity. More infectious, not more deadly. We're moving in the right direction constantly. Okay, quick hits and other musings. What do we know? Boring week. Absolutely nothing going on in the week of COVID, so not really much to say here. But let's look at some other stuff. Number two, science heavy, but an explanation for certain humans that struggle with weight gain. Quote, here we report a heterozygous tandem duplication at the ASIP, or Goody signaling protein, gene locus causing ubiquitous ectopic ASIP expression in a female patient with extreme childhood obesity. The mutation places ASIP under control of the ubiquitously active itchy E3 ubiquitin protein ligase promoter, driving the generation of ASIP in patient-derived native and induced pluripotent stem cells for all germ layers and hypothalamic-like neurons. The patient's phenotype of early onset obesity, overgrowth, red hair, and hyperinsulinemia is consistent and concordant with that of the mutant mouse, ubiquitously expressing the homolog nonagudi. ASIP represses melanocyte-stimulating hormone-mediated activation as a melanocortin receptor antagonist, which might affect eating behavior, energy expenditure, adipocyte differentiation, and pigmentation, as observed in the index patient. As this type of mutation escapes standard genetic screening algorithms, re-rescreen the Leipzig childhood obesity cohort of 1,745 patients and identified four additional patients with this identical mutation ectopic ASIP expression, and similar phenotype. Taken together, our data indicate that ubiquitous ectopic ASC, ASIP expression is likely a monogenic cause for human obesity. And quote, that was a mouthful. 
KEMPF et al. 2022. What that says is that we now have a human model that's consistent with the Goody Mouse research that was done by Randy Jurdle. It was the podcast episode number two, way back when, where we discussed epigenetically what happens to the effective gene locus in the mouse that is propensity set to have weight gain uncontrolled, diabetes, massive risk for cancer, as well as a yellow coat color. It turns out that when these animals were given methyl donors as food, so we're talking about B12, betaine, choline, and folic acid in food forms like liver or um, beets, they had an event occur where the agouti gene that caused all these problems was silenced. It turns out that this happens in humans as well. And it turns out that some humans have this gene that's causing this massive problem with weight gain and all the sundry downstream risks. So it's worth knowing if this does exist, is there a way we can epigenetically reverse this process in pregnancy? The answer is likely yes. Not proven, but giving methyl donors. It's a conversation we need to have moving forward. Getting to have a conversation with Dr. Kara Fitzgerald moving forward about this discussion. So really interesting times coming. Number three, from the journal Nature, we see a study discussing how routine exercise, which is known to provide a wide range of beneficial effects for healthy physiology, can be influenced by intestinal microbes driving neurochemical motivation. There exists a gut-brain connection in a mouse-animal model that enhances exercise performance by augmenting dopamine signaling during physical activity. The authors discovered that a microbiome-based increase in endocannabinoid metabolites can stimulate the use of, quote, TRPV1 expressing sensory neurons, end quote, and thereby elevating dopamine levels in the brain during exercise. They further showed that by stimulating this pathway, running performance is enhanced. On the flip side, microbiome depletion, endocannabinoid receptor inhibition, or the destruction of the spinal afferent neurons will reduce exercise capacity. This is from Donalova, D-O-H-N-A-L-O-V-A at all 2022. It's a fascinating data set showing yet again how critical the intestinal microbiome is to our desires and then the actions that lead to health. Really, 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 9,000 other reallys lets us know that we have to help our microbiome stay in shape so that it doesn't become a problem for us downstream, right? So it's a big deal, right? If, if this has a, an effect on us during exercise and enhances our performance when everything's in the right shape, that's really awesome. But the flip side does occur as well. So we want to really maintain this as well as we can. Four, association between gut microbiota and mineral metabolism. Gut microbes interact with minerals and the human body in many positive ways. They help to protect the colonic mucosa from damage of iron-induced oxidative damage. They help with absorption of minerals involved in bone synthesis. This comes from Skripnik, S-K-R-Y-P-N-I-K, et al. 2017. The end result of a healthy cohort of gut microbes is improved metabolism and cofactor activity. A couple articles on time-restricted feeding and fasting. Number five. In a new study, we see emerging research that indicates that one mechanism whereby time-restricted eating may confer health benefits is by, quote, influencing the expression of epigenetic modular, modulator circulatory microRNAs, which serve as intracellular communic communicators and are dysregulated metabolic disorders such as obesity, end quote. MicroRNAs are small genetic material with the ability to alter gene expression leading to differential protein signaling and metabolism, end quote. Quote, 
The targets of downregulated microRNAs were associated with RAS signaling, which is cell growth and proliferation, mTOR signaling, which is cell growth and protein synthesis, and insulin signaling, which is glucose uptake, and autophagy, cellular homeostasis and survival, end quote. The authors found that time-restricted eating led to downregulation of certain microRNAs leading to inhibited, inhibited metabolic pathways involved in cell survival, cell growth, and the avoidance of cellular senescence. This comes to us from Saini, S-A-I-N-I, at all 2022, in the journal Nutrients. So that's big, right? So if there is some signaling going on when you time-restrict your feeding or compress your meals into a shorter period of time and keep your calories a little bit lower... It's worth discussing, worth putting into potentially into play in your house. Six, time of restricted eating had the greatest impact on eating when the food was localized to consumption in the early part of the day, i.e. breakfast and lunch. This comes to us from Martinez C. 2022 in the journal Medscape. This is likely due to chronobiology and the effects of daytime gene protein activity leading to improved metabolism. Overall, however, time-restricted feeding is a benefit regardless of time because people are more likely to consume less calories. If you have a choice, eat earlier. However, the choice to eat more often versus restricted is a clear one. Eat less frequently and less food overall. All right, so section two, iron. Fourth on my list of important minerals. Could be first, actually, but in this case, we're going to talk about it fourth. A mineral primarily necessary for carrying oxygen around the body via hemoglobin proteins on our red blood cells. But it also has been found in a storage form called ferritin in our liver, spleen, bone marrow, or as myoglobin in our muscles. Very critical to function of oxygen transport, muscle metabolism, neurologics, intracellular signal transmissions. It is critical for hormone function, growth and development. Iron is critical to learning and development in behavior I'm uh, excuse me, in babies and toddlers. Iron is used by white blood cells as well as microbes in metabolism and inflammation for killing capacity by generating oxygen radicals like hydrogen peroxide in humans and our cells to kill viruses and things locally. There was a time when restricted iron was a technique to enhance immunity by depriving microbes of the metabolic need. Infants and teenagers need the most iron daily due to rapid growth. Females need even more when they menstruate. Most people may actually need more than this to support optimal function. Dietary sources of iron come in two forms, heme and non-heme. Heme iron is found primarily in animal muscles, including fish. Non-heme is found in vegetables, beans, nuts, and grains. This distinction is important from a utilization perspective. Heme iron is more bioavailable than vegetable-based non-heme. Vegetarians need two times or more non-heme iron to get the same effect as the animal-based product. Vitamin C is critical for enhancing the absorption and utilization of non-heme iron. Eating vegetables along with meats also enhances the non-heme iron utilization, hence the reason for a balanced diet at all meals. Phytic acid decreases absorption of all minerals again, but in this case, iron does get absorbed and in a neg net negative way with phytic acid exposure. Foods loaded with phytic acid include unsoaked beans and grains, and they will reduce the absorption of the non-heme iron in foods that are associated with it and or supplements. Certain polyphenols found in tea and vegetables are also inhibitory. Calcium can inhibit iron absorption. Keep these supplements away from each other. Deficiency states occur with inadequate intake and certain diseases. Acute or chronic GI blood loss 
can cause iron deficiency. GI malabsorption diseases like celiac, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis are common causes for concern of low iron. People from third world countries can experience iron deficiency from parasitic disease. Symptoms of deficiency include fatigue, anemia, mental fog, restless sleep, temperature regulation issues, and immune system depression. ADHD and other neurologic problems are worsened by low levels of iron. My real concern with iron is the insufficiency state. Many children suffer from learning dysfunction, sleep parasomnias, attention issues, fatigue, and general weakness. Checking a ferritin level and aiming for 50 nanograms per milliliter is optimal. Check with your provider. Iron in the in the supplemental form is very useful but dangerous in overdose. All iron supplements should be stored clear of children. Acute iron toxicity will cause vomiting, stomach pain, organ failure, seizures, and death. Iron and zinc should not be taken at the same time as iron reduces zinc's absorption. Iron supplements affect drugs including thyroid and antacid medicines. Consult your pharmacist when using these medicines and taking iron supplements. If you have any of the above symptoms, I recommend a standard CBC and a ferritin level. I do not recommend supplements unless advised by a provider. Better yet, advised based off of lab testing. Iron is an oxidant and can promote inflammation in an excessive state and as stated earlier, can cause severe liver disease. Work hard to get adequate heme and non-heme iron throughout your diet, roughly 11 grams daily for adults. And make sure that you are taking vitamin C-rich foods as well. These include citrus fruits, red, yellow, and orange vegetables, as well as cabbages. Cooking in a cast iron skillet can also increase iron levels. Overall, there is a great mineral analysis in the Linus Pauling Institute's webpage at Oregon State University. And you can Google this web this web page, but also look up on their site all the different minerals. Recipe of the week is barsh soup. Uh, you can click on the link at salisburypediatrics.com uh, and go to the newsletter page and you'll see everything is there. All right, folks, it's a quickie this week. If you haven't had a chance, I highly encourage you to go to the website Long Distance Love Bombs. Read some of Jeremy Goldberg's work. It's pretty awesome. And he does happen to have a book. It'll be okay and you will be too really good book as well. So as always, hug those kids. The information provided in this newsletter broadcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It is not a substitute for advice and or treatment provided by your physician or other healthcare professional and is not to be used to treat or diagnose a health issue. This newsletter audiocast does not constitute the development of a provider-patient relationship. Have a great day.